all of this is tied to dollars. Think about what is most important to your agency. Obviously, yes, they want to provide high quality care, but they also want to get adequately reimbursed because the true nature of it is if they don't stay open, we don't get paid. So tying it to what their goals are and how occupational therapy can help is going to be really effective. Obviously, yes, it's important to educate them on what we do, but why what we do is important is even more important to them because they want to understand why should they send an OT out over a PT, over a nursing assistant. And the reason why is because we can have a direct impact on improving their reimbursement and accurate scoring of these functional items. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm talking all about the OASIS and the upcoming home health value-based purchasing program. Now, if you aren't familiar, the OASIS is basically the equivalent of the MDS or the EARF-PI, but for home health. So the OASIS is part of the initial and comprehensive assessment that you have to complete on all Medicare and Medicaid patients in home health. Now, a fun fact is that CMS did release the proposed home health rule for calendar year 2023, and they did include a proposal to require the OASIS be completed on all patients. They did the same thing for the IRFPI and inpatient rehab, and it's already required that the MDS and SNF be completed on all patients. So basically, CMS is showing, again, their commitment to trying to standardize the way that we assess patients in post-acute care across all patients. The OASIS has definitely been a topic of discussion ever since the passage of, well, I guess technically the Medicare Home Health Flexibility Act itself didn't pass, but the language was included as part of the year-end omnibus bill in 2020. So effective January 1st of 2022, occupational therapists are now eligible to permanently initiate and complete the comprehensive initial assessment, which includes the start of care oasis in therapy-only cases for Medicare Part A patients. Now, the public health emergency is still in effect, at least for now, until like October 14th-ish. So we can still initiate the OASIS in all cases, so even those including nursing on Medicare patients. But once that public health emergency expires, we will go back to only being able to initiate the OASIS in therapy-only cases, which puts us on equal footing with PT as well as speech therapy. So the OASIS stands for, so it's O-A-S-I-S, it stands for the Outcomes and Assessment Information Set. We are currently on the OASIS D1 version, and the OASIS E, as an elephant, is coming out January 1st of 2023. So now is the time to start preparing for that OASIS, because let me tell you, they basically ripped up all the parts of the OASIS D1 rearranged them and put them into the OASIS E. So there are quite a few changes as well as quite a few new measures. So the OASIS D has around like 90 items versus the OASIS E has like 108. So it's a pretty significant change, mostly because CMS added in more items on uh, health disparities and health equity, because we can't track whether or not facilities are providing equitable health if we don't actually have any data. So they have things about transportation now, they have both a race and ethnicity question, preferred language, and health literacy. 
So those are things that they've been putting in all settings. So again, another standardized element for post-acute care assessment. One thing that makes home health unique from other post-acute care settings is that Section GG, even though it's scored in home health as part of the OASIS, Section GG in home health does not influence quality measures or reimbursement like it does in SNF as well as inpatient rehab. Instead of Section GG, you actually use what's called Section G, so just one G of the OASIS, which includes like the M1800 sections, which is basically the functional section, kind of replaces the role of Section GG in those other facilities. So for the functional limitation piece of PDGM, instead of Section GG, it's actually the OASIS. It's mostly OASIS M1800 items, so they're ADL items. And then there's also a risk for rehospitalization that's thrown into that equation as well. Accurate scoring on the OASIS is essential for accurate reimbursement under PDGM. So the exact M1800 items that are used to score the functional impairment level are grooming, current ability to dress upper body safely, current ability to dress lower body safely, bathing, toilet transferring, transferring, ambulation slash locomotion, and then that last one, risk for hospitalization. So if you are listening, a lot of those items sound like perfect items to be scored by occupational therapists. Occupational therapists are key in ensuring accurate scoring on these items, and inaccurate scoring could lead a patient to be scored as too high functioning, which means that CMS will not adequately reimburse for the services that that patient requires. CMS recognizes that patients who have a high functional impairment require more services and therefore pays more money than patients who have a low functional impairment. So usually if they're scored inaccurately, they are representing the patient as too functional versus their true function. Then the home health agency could be losing potentially hundreds of dollars on that single case that would be necessary to cover that patient's needed services, which often includes therapy. If a patient has a functional impairment, they should probably be receiving therapy. So how exactly do we ensure that these items are scored accurately? Well, that is up to reading and understanding the OASIS guidance manuals that CMS puts out for free. There is an OASIS D guidance manual that you can use through the end of the year, and then they did already release their OASIS E guidance manual draft. Now, not only does this guidance manual go through every single section of the OASIS, identify how to score it, who can score it, really kind of describe everything, but also they have this section called chapter three, and chapter three goes through every single item on the OASIS. It shows what it would look like on like the paper OASIS form, the item intent, the time points at which that item must be completed. So is it only for start of care, start of care and discharge, or maybe just recertification? It also has response specific instructions and coding instructions. So let's look at one of the items I'm reading here directly from the OASIS E guidance manual. So the upcoming one for item M1800 grooming. So this one is defined as current ability to tend safely. Keyword is safely. Just because they can do it doesn't mean that it's safe. So that they're able to tend safely to personal hygiene needs. Now, what we may think of as grooming as an OT may not necessarily be the same as what the OASIS includes grooming. So they do provide examples of what is grooming. This includes washing the face and hands, hair care, shaving or makeup, teeth or denture care, or fingernail care. Now, in the case of this specific OASIS item, 
their scoring options are zero through three. So zero is the most independent and three is the most dependent. And this is another feature that makes the Oasis a little more challenging to score is because every single item tends to have a slightly different scoring mechanism. And so some items are zero through three, some are zero through six, some are only zero through four. So that's what makes the Oasis items very different from section GG in that section GG for every single option, it is the exact same scoring mechanism. So a one means the same thing, no matter what item you're scoring in section GG versus a one can be slightly differently defined on the Oasis for each item, which is why reviewing the guidance manual is really important for accurate reimbursement. Another thing that is tricky, especially if you're used to scoring section GG and not Oasis items, is that the scorings are inverse of each other. So on section GG, a six indicates the most independent score versus on the Oasis, the lowest number or a zero equals the most independent. So when you're scoring these items, it's important to know that so that you aren't automatically picking the highest number thinking, oh, that means they're more independent and you're accidentally scoring them as much more dependent than they actually are or vice versa. So again, that's another reason why it's so important to review these guidance manuals so that you feel confident when you are entering in these scores and you aren't accidentally scoring them on the opposite end of the scale than you thought you were. Now, when it comes to the OASIS, CMS advises that whoever initiates the OASIS or completes the OASIS should be the discipline that is the most appropriate for that patient. So in some cases, it may be a PT, in some cases, it may be an OT. But here's why I think it's really important to advocate for early involvement of occupational therapy. And it's because specifically on these codes, which are obviously really important for reimbursement, it recommends that in order to get the most accurate score, that observation and demonstration is the preferred method for coding this item. And occupational therapists are experts in function, in task analysis, cognition, and when we complete our evaluation, more often than not, we are having that patient actually demonstrate the task versus scoring the task through something like an interview or asking patients or even just reviewing their medical record. So it's really important to advocate for early involvement because companies do have at least five days to submit the final OASIS scores. So if we can get occupational therapy involved within that first five days of the OASIS being initiated, then we can help influence reimbursement even if we aren't the initial person starting the OASIS. Because that's another common misconception that whoever initiates the OASIS is the one who has to fill out all the items. This is actually intended to be an interdisciplinary assessment, so there are supposed to be multiple clinicians considered when scoring the OASIS because, again, CMS also says that if ability varies over time, enter the response describing the patient's ability more than 50% of the time period under consideration. Well, you don't know if their function varies over time if you only have one time point to consider. So that's another piece where we can advocate for when you're completing your evaluation if there isn't the option to enter in some OASIS scores, that can be something to ask for so that way your data can be considered to see if we are accurately reflecting the patient. Because if the nurse goes out, let's say 10 a.m. and the patient does well, well, that's fantastic, but we know that patients tend to fatigue over time. So it's always advisable too that if you have someone go out at 10 a.m. one morning, then maybe you send out the OT at 3 p.m. the next day to see how their function varies so that, again, you can capture the patient's most accurate functioning. 
And the reason why assessing someone through observation and demonstration is important is because we all have, and we tend to do this too, just as individuals, we all have those patients who like to present themselves as doing a little bit better than maybe they actually are. Like, let's take example M1820, current ability to dress lower body. Now, if I ask my patients, oh, can you get your pants on and your shoes on by yourself? And they would say, yeah, you know, I always get myself dressed in the morning. Well, if you look at the actual OASIS scoring, a zero means that they're able to obtain, put on, and remove clothing and shoes without assistance, versus if they're only able to do it if the clothing and shoes are laid out, that autom automatically bumps them from a zero to a one. And so if we don't ask those further questions, say, well, does someone put them out for you in the morning? Oh, yes, you know, I can't go and get my shoes, so I have to have, you know, my caregiver or my wife come and bring them over to me. Okay, well, so now all of a sudden we're looking at a one. And then it turns out that maybe they need a little bit more help putting their belt through the back or pulling up their pants. And now all of a sudden, maybe we're looking at more of a two. And so by actually observing and asking those follow-up questions, because occupational therapists are experts in task analysis, we are experts in breaking down those individual components of dressing that are really important, especially in the nuanced scoring of the OASIS. Like, let's even look at another one, M1830, bathing. This includes the current ability to wash entire body safely, but excludes grooming, washing the face, hands, or shampooing the hair, which is another fun thing to look at, is that when you think of bathing, we would probably consider shampooing the hair because as occupational therapists, if I were to evaluate someone bathing, I would probably include them being able to wash their hair. But under the Oasis item, it does not include shampooing the hair as part of the bathing component. So when you're scoring it, you should not include that piece. But here's another example where we might ask a patient, are you doing okay with showering or how is that going? They say, oh yeah, I'm able to get in and out of the shower and I do just fine. If we actually observe that patient, because again, the key word here is safely. So just because they're doing it doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. So if we actually participate in observing them completing that item, if all of a sudden we feel that due to safety reasons, they require another person to be present in the room with them, well, that automatically bumps them to a three on the OASIS scoring versus a zero, which is able to bathe self independently. A three is able to participate in bathing in the shower or tub, but they require the presence of another person. And this is, again, another reason why it's so important to review, because let's say at baseline, someone is a sponge bather, which is totally fine. If that's what works best for them, if that's what's safe for them, that's fine. You know, now as a therapist, I might score them on what how much assist they require based on what their normal functioning is. So if they've been a sponge bather for years, I'm not going to try and force them to get into the tub as long as they're completing it effectively. But under the OASIS scoring, if they are unable to use the shower or tub, but are able to bathe themselves independently without the use of devices at the sink, then that automatically bumps them to a four versus a zero. So again, it's really important to identify where on the OASIS there are items that are scored differently than how you might actually score them in your own clinical record or as an occupational therapist. Because if we're scoring someone as a zero, they're able to bathe themselves independently, but we're not considering the fact that they're doing it at the sink. Again, that's another area where we might be scoring someone as more functional than they actually are according to the OASIS items, and are therefore the patient is not getting categorized under the right functional level. So those are just a few examples of different items on the OASIS. Obviously, there are a lot of examples. So the OASIS guidance manual is absolutely free. It's easy to understand. You don't need 
a expensive CEU to help you understand how to score the OASIS because you can read it for yourself from the free resources produced by CMS. Okay, I know we've already gone through a lot, so we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to talk about value-based purchasing. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who are share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT Amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support Amplify OT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. All right, everybody, welcome back. Let's talk value-based purchasing. Now, value-based purchasing in home health was trialed in only nine states for the last couple of years, and now it has been shown to save Medicare a lot of money and to be successful, so they are expanding it nationwide. Now, this value-based purchasing program is mandatory, so if you work for an agency that sees Medicare patients, meaning they're a Medicare-certified home health agency, then you will be participating in value-based purchasing. Now, you may find yourself asking what exactly is value-based purchasing, and value-based purchasing is essentially, it's not a new model, it's new to home health to a certain extent, but basically it's this idea of CMS 
paying more money for care that is higher quality. So essentially, they are purchasing more value-based care. So if your agency provides high-quality care, then they have the option to receive a payment bonus. Versus if you provide low-quality care, then you also carry the potential of having a payment deduction. Now, value-based purchasing is starting in 2023, and the payment adjustments won't hit till 2025 because it takes about a year to get the data and then analyze the data and implement it into savings. So what your agency does in 2023 will affect their payment in 2025. And the adjustments for 2025 are up to or downwards of 5%. So high quality care agencies could receive an up to 5% bonus versus agencies that provide low quality care could see a subtraction of up to 5% in their overall reimbursement. Now, 5%, you know, at face value doesn't always sound a lot, but to put it in perspective, think about what would happen if you got a 5% bonus in your salary or a 5% reduction in your salary. I bet that would hit home and it's going to hit home for these agencies. Now, most likely that percentage can and probably will increase over the coming years, but they're starting off at 5% for now. Now, the way that they determine reimbursement or the payment adjustments is based on certain quality measures. Now, there's still the quality reporting program or the QRP that is used. It's based off of OASIS data, claims-based data, as well as the HHCAPS survey, which is like your patient survey. Now, not all of those quality measures from the QRP are going to be used in value-based purchasing, so I'm going to tell you what those quality measures are now for value-based purchasing. Like the QRP, we have data-based, claims-based, and HHCAPS. So the OASIS-based quality measures that are being used in value-based purchasing are improvement in dyspnea, discharge to the community, improvement in management of oral medications, the total normalized composite change in self-care, and the total normalized composite change in mobility. Now that self-care and that mobility score are made up of different items on the OASIS. And it's not all of the self-care mobility items, it's just a select few. No, so those are just the OASIS-based. The claims-based ones are acute care hospitalization during the first 60 days of home health use and emergency department use without hospitalization during the first 60 days. So this is another area where you're probably going to see agencies start talking to therapists and practitioners about educating patients on calling the home health agency before going straight to the emergency department, not just because we want to help reduce expensive care, but also because they're going to be assessed on whether or not they're providing high quality care on whether or not the patient is able to avoid utilizing the emergency department. The last items for data sources, I suppose, for the value-based purchasing program is based on the home health caps survey, and it is care of patients plus professional care, communication between providers and patients, specific care issues and team discussion, overall rating of home health care, and willingness to recommend the agency. Now those are all scored by the patient. So again, you're probably going to see home health agencies educating their clinicians on how to educate the patient on how to fill out that survey or to encourage them to fill out that survey. Now, obviously, you are not supposed to influence the patient, say, make sure you give us all, you know, whatevers, but you are able to educate the patient that they will be receiving a survey and that it's important that they fill it out. So Medicare does have resources, including recording, slides, white papers, and those sorts of things on value-based purchasing. So especially if you are in leadership, I encourage you to review that. And I'll go ahead and include a link down in the show notes on the CMMI page. their Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, where they have all the details on 
the quality measures that are going to be used in value-based purchasing. But essentially, what I want you to take away from this as a clinician is that knowing that value-based purchasing is coming is another great opportunity to educate the agencies on the value of occupational therapy, educate them on why occupational therapy is important to get involved early if we aren't initiating the OASIS in order to receive accurate scores, because not only is it important for reimbursement under PDGM, but it's now going to be especially important under these quality measures because those self-care mobility items are in that M1800 section. This is not section GG based under value-based purchasing for home health. So it's important that we have those accurate scores because it'll impact reimbursement under PDGM and it'll impact their reimbursement two years down the line. So this isn't something that's going to be an easy fix where if you notice all of a sudden your scores are bad, well, now we can fix them. Uh Uh-uh, it's going to affect you in two years. So it's going to be a two-year change. So this is another good time to look at your agency's quality outcomes on the Care Compare website. Look at how they're doing because they already have Some of these quality measures are already being reported by your agency. This is a good time to look at the Care Compare website, see how your agency is performing, see if the quality measures are even accurately reflecting the quality of care that you provide, and then using that information to say, this is how OT can help you improve, and this is how we're going to make you more money and make sure that you're adequately reimbursed. Because inaccurate reimbursement could cost hundreds, and think about hundreds of dollars lost over multiple patients throughout an entire year and how that could probably fund another full-time therapist. So all of this is tied to dollars. Think about what is most important to your agency. Obviously, yes, they want to provide high-quality care, but they also want to get adequately reimbursed because the true nature of it is if they don't stay open, we don't get paid. So tying it to what their goals are and how occupational therapy can help is going to be really effective Obviously, yes, it's important to educate them on what we do, but why what we do is important is even more important to them because they want to understand why should they send an OT out over a PT, over a nursing assistant, and the reason why is because we can have a direct impact on improving their reimbursement and accurate scoring of these functional items. So I hope that gives you some tidbits on how to advocate for occupational therapy and home health, especially with these changes coming. And you never know, sometimes when you're paying attention to this stuff and you bring it up, it shows them that you're paying attention and it could put you in the front running for potentially maybe a leadership position in the future. So understanding policy is great just for your own advocacy efforts, but you also never know where it could lead you professionally. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. And I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?